Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. For the last two weeks, London has been a magical place. The world has been here and the city, its people and the whole globe has smiled. Team GB has overachieved and predictably so has Jamaica with the world's favourite sportsman grabbing three gold medals. Usain Bolt and Jamaica's sprinting success started in London, but not in 2012, but in 1948. This is a story of a gentle giant and that first gold medal. This is the story of how one small island conquered the world. Jamaican patwa. And a fair start, a Sapa pal. Usain Bolt is also out well. Here they come down the track. Usain Bolt! It's a story of music, sport and style. How its rhythms, athletes and language went global. This is how Jamaica conquered the world. Four hundred meters final. A British Commonwealth United States battle with McKinley and Wint of Jamaica and Whitfield of the USA. Here's the start and Gatlin is away well. Usain Bolt trying to come along. World record holder McKinley dashes into the lead. And at the halfway mark is almost ten yards up on the rest of the field. It's Tyson Gay. Here's Blake. Here's Bolt. Usain Bolt. Coming into the home stretch, it's Wint who challenges the leader. 50 yards from the tape, it seemed impossible that he could do it. But he comes through with a magnificent effort to equal the Olympic record time of 46.2 seconds. My name is Valerie Wynn. I am a yoga instructor and holistic nutritionist, and I live in Toronto, Canada. My father was Arthur Wint, Jamaica's first Olympic gold medalist. Slow motion emphasizes his perfect action at the end of a brilliant race. This outstanding six foot four inch athlete credits Jamaica with her first Olympic victory ever. My name is George Nico. I am retired, uh, living in Jamaica, uh, after living abroad for about 30 years. Uh, how did the legacy of uh, Arthur Wint and Herb McKenzie uh, lend itself to sport, uh, particularly traffic athletics in Jamaica? I'd like to go back a little bit before that. In the year 1912, uh, we started high school track athletic championship in Jamaica. The ability to compete was inculcating in the minds of young Jamaicans the desire to be the best. And in 1912, Norman Manley, who was then a high school Jamaica college, he broke the record for the 100 yards, 10 seconds, when the world record was only 9.7 seconds. So that tells you that we had the record of accomplishment at the earliest stage of our competitiveness. My father Arthur was born in 1920 
in Jamaica, a place called Plowden. He was the second child of uh, John Wint and Hilda Smith. John was a Presbyterian minister, and they eventually had five children, so my father was the second. Well, when he was about 11 or 12, he started going to Calabar High School. You know, as part of the program, everybody had to run. When he was 13, he was taking part in the inter-school championship, which if anybody's been following athletics these days, you know that that's the breeding ground for Jamaican athletes. At age 13, he had already won the champion boy of his age group, and each year that he ran, he was the champion boy in his age group. Eventually, he went on and at age 17, so this was in 1938, he was on the squad that went to the Pan American Games that were held in Panama. He did very well there. I think he broke a Jamaican record in a couple of the events. So that's when the country first really learned about him, because they would read about what was happening in the games in the daily newspaper. My father joined the Royal Air Force. Well, first of all, he was still in high school when they when the war broke out. He was still running, taking part in, in local meets and the occasional international meet that took place in Jamaica. Everybody was very concerned about what was happening in the war, wanted to be involved. And in 1942, he left Jamaica and joined the RAF. And he actually came here to Canada as part of the British Commonwealth Air Training Plan, where they brought people from, mainly from Australia and New Zealand, my father became a pilot, which was what everybody wanted to be, but not everybody could be. He eventually went on and became a flight lieutenant. He was one of the first black officers. There were times when he was treated not so well because he was black, but because he was an officer. That sort of mitigated a lot of how he was treated because you had to respect somebody who was of a higher rank than you, regardless of whether he was black or not. And and he was a man who did not let these things uh, bring him down. He had a self-confidence that allowed him to rise above and he eventually became quite a darling of the British media because he, he ran for the, the RAF. He also joined a club called the Polytechnic Harriers. In those days, athletics were huge and, you know, there was no team so people would go out to events. In 1946, Herb McKendy, who was a product of the high school championship, went to the United States on a scholarship and he became the top 440 yard runner. He held the world record for the 440 yards of 46 seconds in 1946 until he got to the Olympics in 1948 in London. My father, as I mentioned, was living in England, um, running for the RAF, and the Olympics were going to come up in 1948 in London. He had almost been forgotten by the Jamaicans because, of course, he'd run in the uh, Panamanian um, in 38 and then basically left Jamaica during the war. You know, the, the athletic people knew about him. And so they'd seen that he was doing well in Britain and he was selected as part of the team then. London in 1948 was just coming out of the war and uh, rationing was still on and uh, there were no fancy accommodations or, or meal plans like what they have now. And Jamaicans were billeted in, a, you know, those Quonset huts that they had. So it was a completely different kind of environment. Here they are, some of the immense crowds on their way to Wembley Stadium to enjoy the pageantry, the music and the ceremony on the day of the opening of the Olympic Games, and the weather was blazing hot for the start of the 14th modern Olympiad. 
the track that they were running on was a cinder track. They didn't have starting blocks. They dug little holes in the ground and they ran in spikes. Also, the athletes were amateurs. It wasn't their job. Their job was something else, but their passion was running and they ran for the for the love of it and, and for the love of competition. 400 meters final. A British Commonwealth United States battle with McKinley and Wint of Jamaica and Whitfield of the USA. They're up. In London in 1948, 400-meter world record holder McKenley was considered one of the safest bets of the games. For McKenley, though, it wasn't that simple. Around what I thought was a, a, a great race, and then with about 30 meters to go, the stadium, as if the stadium had fallen on him. And then I heard the cheers and his, the heavy pounding, which is how he, you know how to win. Of course, he caught me just about... Um, two meters before the, the tape and to beat me by about a meter and a half. Coming around the last bend and into the straightaway, my father was about two or three people behind. He noticed that Herb was starting to slow down. My father said that he was quite content to let Herb win the race and for himself not to meddle. But when he realized that Herb was losing ground and that it was a possibility of the American winning the race, he decided that he had to do something about it. So he picked up his pace and Herb describes it as hearing his stride thundering down behind him as he pulled ahead and they won one, two. So my father came first in 46.2 and Herb came second. This outstanding six foot four inch athlete credits Jamaica with her first Olympic victory ever. Then they went on to 1952. Again, Herb and Wynn challenged each other. A new Jamaican who had had a track scholarship in the U.S. came on the scene. He upset both McKinley and Wynn in the 440 yard. But that team, Wynn, McKinley, and George Roden, and another fellow called Lang, they ran the 4 by 440 yard relay in a world record time of 3 minutes 03, which was not broken for maybe 15, 20 years. So Jamaica established themselves in the 1952 Olympics as the top 440, top 80, 80 yard, 4 by 400 gold medal winners. But in the 800 meters, he got silver. So the, the team did quite well. After that, I believe he went into the Commonwealth Games in Melbourne, Australia. And then shortly after that, he retired from running. He was quite old at that time in terms of how old athletes are. Born in 1920, so he was 32 years old. While he was still in England, he went to medical school. And um, we, we continued to live in London until he qualified as a medical doctor, which was when I was about three. And at that point, we moved back to live in Jamaica. We lived in Jamaica until he went back to England now in 1958, and then we moved back to Jamaica. He worked for a while in Kingston, and then after that, he took a post in Lucy. He was the medical officer of health. He was asked to become the high commissioner to England. Uh, my mother, my, my younger sisters, and my father moved back to England once again. <laughs> it wasn't really his cup of tea. He was chosen because he was well known among the Jamaican community. The government felt that he would be a good fit in terms of helping to look after Jamaican's concerns in England. And he did, but you know, in terms of the politics and the economics and so on for which he was not trained, he found that that was a bit difficult. After the five years were up, he went back to live in, in Jamaica and he ended up being a rural doctor again, uh, where he stayed until he died actually. He was 72 years old when one day he just drove home from work and went to bed. And my mother came home from work herself and found him in, in bed. Now, 
This was unusual because my father never ever took a nap in the afternoon. So she called one of the other doctors who came and looked at him and said that he had had what's called a TIA, a, a mini stroke. So they bundled him into the car and drove him into Kingston. And basically he stayed in the hospital for a week and he died on October the 19th, 1992. So that's when he died on National Heroes Day. I always thought it was, it was quite fitting. For a long time, I believe my father was forgotten. He was a very quiet man, very humble man, and he was a rural doctor. He wasn't in the limelight. At one point, he was inducted into the U.S. Athletic Hall of Fame and also into the Jamaican Athletic Hall of Fame. Uh, but apart from those, people didn't really remember him. He was in the past. Even though there was a, a street named after him in Kingston, Arthur Wint Drive, the statue outside the stadium was built based on a photograph of him running. There's a road in Mandeville called Wint Road. So there were things that reminded people of him, but I think they thought that he was dead because he was so quiet. So when he actually died, a lot of people were surprised that he had actually been alive all that time. So after he died, we realized that younger people didn't know very much about him. And my sister and I decided that we wanted to make sure that he wasn't forgotten. So the first thing we did was we developed a very basic website about his life. Once we got that up and running, that was when I started writing my book about him. We didn't want him to be forgotten. And my own recollections of him, the only time I ever saw him run was when he ran at sports day at school and he gave all the other fathers a, a big um, advantage and still beat them. And I sort of knew that he had been famous, but I mean, he was just my father. There was one occasion where I was able to go away with him on my own. I won a trip to Guatemala and spent a week together. I was 16 years old and I, I think that's where I really got to know him as a person and not just as my father. It was a great week. It was a, a highlight of my life. He was an absentee father a lot for me because of his medicine and being apart from him and with his travel. So actually having him all to myself for a whole week was amazing and I will always relish it. The success at the Helsinki Olympics in 1950 would have been reported by radio and, of course, by the newspapers. It certainly, we didn't have 100% of our people having radios at the time, but the word spread fast that Jamaica was on top in various categories. It gave us a sense of national pride, which, to be honest with you, has never really been tarnished as far as we're concerned. We, we, <laughs> we still think we're the greatest. <laughs> um, um, based on our history of achievement. My mother keeps my father's medals in a bank vault in Jamaica. Today's narrators both have books out. Valerie's is called The Long Run, A Daughter's Story, which is available on Amazon. And George's book is entitled In Praise of Jamaica and is also on Amazon. So please head over and support these two great people and their books. Big thanks to the following who have written reviews on iTunes. David Eyre, Cosmos Dato, Robert Gill, Peter Richardson, Selector Mark, Wilfred Emmanuel Jones, TP London, Team Tizzle, D Grifter and Popcornius in Canada. As I've said before, this is equivalent to giving me cash as it helps to keep the podcast visible on iTunes. So please, if you haven't done so already, please write a review and support the podcast. Last week, I was interviewed by the BBC in the UK on the day of Jamaican independence, which was a very proud moment for me and my family. And of course, my phone lit up whenever the Jamaican track team achieved sporting success. The last two weeks have been a magical time, and I'm glad to have been in London to witness and document this golden period. 
Don't forget, we are on Twitter, where we are at How Jamaica. We are on Facebook, where we are facebook.com forward slash How Jamaica. The website is howjamaicaconquertheworld.com. You can email me direct at Royfield, spelled R-O-I-F-I-E-L-D, at gmail.com. See you next week.